space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, welcome back to Retrek, I'm Captain Jim, with me is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And Dr. Squee. Hello. And Ambassador Nicola. Hello. So we have the original gang back together and we finally got to the last film. Well, let's hope it's not actually the last film. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's meant to be like... There's always talk, isn't there? Have they got like... I'm sure the latest was that there's two in development, um, but nobody really seems sure. The last thing I heard was, and it, it, keep, it does genuinely seem to be, every other story is, it's on, it's off again. Yeah. In and so there does seem to be a weird flow to it. But it, the last thing I heard was that at least the uh, Chris Pine one's uh, back in development, but with a uh, like sort of a less heard of, uh, director, right director, so okay. he's a bit cheaper, but someone who's got a good vision. Yes. So I'm really hoping that's the case. It's... Well, as long as they're not Star Trek, I don't care who it is. <laughs> it's the chap who um, made the Fargo TV show. Ah, no, I enjoyed them. Yeah. They're so, really good. So that, that likewise, that was the last I heard of it as well, so we don't know, but um, yeah. yeah. It, it's sort of, as long as the They've watched the show, they know about the show, they understand the show. When they come in, it doesn't matter if they're relatively unknown, does it? Oh, no, not at all. It's when you get a big name guy who goes, oh, well, I've never watched Star Trek. Well, what the fuck are you actually doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Was that a dig at the Nemesis guy or J.J. Abrams or both? Both, actually. (laughs) I think but I don't think it's not just Star Trek. I think it's any big franchise. If someone goes in who doesn't know the franchise, it's like why? Yeah, I just uh, I think um, there are some bits where, especially on this rewatch of this one, so it is very apropos. I did see what people have said before, especially on this one about sometimes him trying to make it too actiony, and I know this was Abrams on this one as director or writer, but. In tone, I felt it did go a bit too actiony and lost a bit of the Star Trek somewhere along the way. However, I think generally he put a lot of kind of like, especially in that first one, a lot of love in the uh, origins of Trek. It felt like Star Trek to me. There's a few things which he added, which kind of like you could argue whether or not they fit in a Star Trek film. But overall, I think he did a good job. Mm-hmm. Whereas like with some other direct, like probably Nemesis, the tone was was off. With this third one, again, like there were some wonderfully Star Trek things, but other things which were... Yeah. Whole cloth for me, not stuff. Well, Simon Pegg was part writer on this one, wasn't he? That we're going to be talking about tonight. And I thought in the writing it got a lot better, yeah. just some of the actiony bits I could. Yeah, like, I think out of the three sort of Kelvin movies, this is probably actually my favourite. Oh, okay. Oh. See, I see. I think this feels more like a Star Trek movie than definitely the last one. Yeah, I think I think where it hits the mark, it hits the mark well, and where it doesn't, kind of lost me a bit. Like, yeah, there's some bits where I felt we had three action scenes in a row, mm. and I just I, I I was starved with some plot. 
like when they did go into the talking potty bits, it was so stuck. It was so written to these characters so well. So it's kind of when it, where it was on the mark, it was very on the mark. Where it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm about there with you. I think controversially, this one's probably my least favorite of the three, just because it it just feels a bit insubstantial. It, for all its faults, Into Darkness it was more memorable to me than this one. But, you know, anyway, we'll get into it. So, we start off then, it, it's quite this comedic scene, really. You've got Kirk talking to the aliens, and it turns out the aliens are little teeny tiny aliens. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I... That's a, that's a nice scene. Yeah. Like, I... you, you don't expect it, you think that, they don't come across that tiny. But I, I suppose it makes a little bit of sense that you have small aliens... Well, yeah, I mean, there's no reason why they wouldn't be, you know. Yeah, these are, these are actually a theory, I can't remember who did it, and it's that you can handle fire. Right. To start being able to do, to, sort of as the start of invention and controlling stuff, and if uh, you're too small, you can't, you can't wield fire. Uh, yeah, I can, that makes sense. And, yeah, I mean, I've, I've no... The only thing is, I remember seeing this the first time in the cinema, and it opens with this scene, and it's so, like, broadly comedic that I was a bit put off initially, because I'm like, is this the way they're going with this? And I think I think it makes up for it almost immediately when it, you go back it, to the it, ship. As soon as it and, beams back to the ship, and it's some, and it's some really nice uh, nods to the original series. Yeah. Here, like, he stares straight away, goes, I've ripped my shirt again. Yeah. And Kirk was always ripping his shirt nearly every episode. Yeah, yeah. there's lovely little Easter eggs like that. I just thought this thing is, I think they were trying to go with what they did in the second one as well, of having this kind of, like, pre-film adventure, if you like. But this was more of, like, a one-scene version of that. And yeah. Here's, here's your little kind of cold open, much like with the James Bond films or a lot of episodic TV. Yeah. They have the kind of, like, open which will or won't tie into the rest of the, of the film or TV show. This time it does. Um, very loose. And then you go very loosely, so yeah. It's a little kind of fun <coughs> open to it. So I kind of, I, I didn't mind Do you that. know what my thought was, actually, which is weird, and this is just how my brain works, is you know when he obviously did say, oh, I've ripped my shirt again, and off he goes to get another shirt. I thought to myself, when he opened his wardrobe, there is so many shirts in there, but I thought he's been out there three years. How many shirts are you going to need to get through three years of ripping them all the time? That was my thought. Well, the whole thing is that the ship recycles everything, doesn't it? So, yeah. Probably only need, you probably only need a few in a year. I presume... So you need that many in the wardrobe. Then, well, yeah. yeah. I would assume that he's got seven in his wardrobe, so he's got one for each day of the week. Yeah. And... And then, if he rips any, they get replaced. Maybe. Plus, we're talking original series timeline, not next generation. So they probably have to conserve energy a bit more. You know, like they're, yeah. they're yeah. not smart with their replicating technology. But I mean, uh, getting back to the opening scene, though, for me, I think that I would have, um, I would rather something a bit like bigger and dramatic, like they do in the second film for the opener, just because. Just having in a courtroom just kind of like isn't the big open I want to my film. No, I agree. Uh, I think maybe thematically it makes sense because they're trying to present Kirk as he's fed up, every day's the same, it's all a bit mundane and boring. Yeah. And so it, it does feed into that, but it doesn't make for an exciting, gripping opening. opening to a film. But You see, I like I, I like the, 
the opening because I think it linked, links in so much to that that they're showing yeah. that Kirk's sort of weary of just doing the same thing yeah, for yeah. three years and and there's some it has become very mundane. There's like clever dialogue, like he says, we're three years into it, so obviously the original series ran for three seasons. Yeah. So yeah. obviously it doesn't work literally in terms of the timeline because the five year mission started earlier than it did in the prime time and blah 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 blah. But on a sort of thematic level, we're meeting Kirk further yeah. on in the five year like, mission. There's slipped up here because to say that he, it's the nine hundred and sixty sixth day of the mission, mm-hmm. if they'd gone for 981 days, they'd have had how long it was on TV. See, I thought... original run. I thought I'd read that that's why they did do that, but did they get it... Did they not get They've it quite got, right? I, I looked at... Like, I thought that when I was re-watching it here and I actually went back and... Unless my master's been slightly out when I've been... Did you count... Did you count... Together. Did you count leap years? I did, actually. There was leap ah. year 1968... There we go then. So, yeah, maybe they didn't. I just felt that, I mean, I I did feel like it was the third film in a row where we've had Kirk not sure or not wanting to be the captain of the Enterprise. I would have loved one film where he's actually excited to be the captain. Like, it's just, I I get what they're going for, Mm. but it's just like that feeling again, like three films in a row, and you have this opening where, like, wouldn't that have been a nice opportunity if you are saying that kind of the suggestion is they've had the adventures they had on the original series. Why not chuck in something from the original series? Yeah. You know, I know it's not happened exactly how it happened before. Why not have mud pop up? Why, why not have something familiar yeah. as a little fan service? I mean, yeah. Just, just, the whole film there. just as a couple of minutes scene. Yeah. So at, yeah. at the end of one of the old TV shows. Yeah, that'd exactly. be good. You have a little nod, a little bit of thing which he's hired about. I mean, again, I could have done without the whole him tired of being captain. Well, this what that reminds me of is what they've done with the the Bond films, the Daniel Craig Bond films, because it it's like right, the first one is just learning to be James Bond. At the end, look, oh, he's James Bond. It's all good. We're gonna go on a normal James Bond story, and then. The second one, it's like, no, he's retiring, uh, but he gets pulled back in for a revenge <laughs> yeah, mission. Yeah, that, that, that hadn't made sense to me with then, Daniel Craig at all. Then the third one, it's like, oh, he's um, he's assumed dead. Oh, right, he's gone off. He's not working for us anymore. But he comes back at the end, and he's like, reporting for duty, sir. And you're like, right, finally, the fourth one. They've done all the origin. <laughs> it's going to be a proper James Bond film. Oh, no, he's gone rogue again. Like, just give me a James Bond film where he goes to M, he gets a mission, he goes and does the mission. What's that's the problem? Not really Bond, though, is it? Because the, Bond has always been rogue, hasn't he? Whoever we look at, I mean, look at Timothy Dalton. That's one of my favourites. And we um, look at that, and you know, it was about revenge of his partner. So well, yeah, he's but going to be a rogue cannon, hasn't he? Well, he can be. Something that they've said, like uh, there's these guys who do the uh, James Bonding podcast, uh, Matt Morrow and Matty Rowley, and they do, um, do, they've gone through all the films twice now. And they've said that it's like, you used to have it so that every now and again you'd have him going rogue. You'd have these films where he would actually just kind of like be on a mission. Yeah. And now they just seem to, every film has to be him going rogue. And yeah. I, again, that's the thing I got from these these Trek films. This is, like, yeah, this is it. Why is Kirk always not wanting to be a captain? Like, yeah. It was, it, was quite, it was great. Really well done, the first film. Yeah. Tim Bad discovering it. Second one, I would even like say fine because he's then, he's learning how to be a bit more responsible while 
uh, Spock learns to kind of have a yeah. bit more emotion. And we're starting the, the five-year mission. I just mission. want him to be the captain. I yeah. just want him to want to be the captain. But yeah. then they throw this thing in. Of I know we've talked about uh, how the promotions seem to work a bit crazily in the Kelvin timeline. But it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, we're going to make you a vice admiral. It's like, well, hang on. He's he's literally been out of the academy for five years, so he's a cadet five years ago, mm-hmm. and he's going to be a vice admiral. I, all right. I thought it was vice director or something. Is it admiral? Yeah, it no, admiral. it's admiral. Yeah. Oh, okay. I misheard that. I mean, yeah, ultimately, yeah. he doesn't get it. Maybe she would just setting him up for no, a fall. No, actually, at the at the end of it, she does tell him that the job is is there for him. He says, yeah, if you yeah. want it, it's yeah. up with it. So ultimately, he doesn't take it then, rather, I should say. But yeah. 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 yeah the job is there for him if he wants it. Yeah, it's a weird one. And <laughs> before we get on to like. It's very easy to become admiral. It really yeah, is. It's like in um, 24 when you'd have, again, people going rogue, but you'd have Jack's gone rogue and he doesn't work for CTU anymore. Yeah. And he'd turn up in the CTU building at about 12 midday. And then by 2pm, they'd be like, we're reinstating you as director of CTU, Jack. And you'd be like, yeah. what? Like, <laughs> he's just walked in off the road. Do you know what, what it's bizarre? Do you know what reminds me of? It's when I used to work at Subway. Now, it's Kimmy out here. I got promoted <laughs> within like a month to being a supervisor because they were short staff. And then they kept on opening up stores. So within a year, I became, uh, I think it was um, assistant manager. And with a couple, I was managing a store. I was like, this is ridiculously quick to be promoting. Like, I am not qualified enough to be doing that. And that was managing a subway shop. This is captaining a starship. I think yeah. there should be a few more entry requirements and kind of, like, tests before you become captain or admiral. Definitely. And Spock must be fuming, like, you know. It's no wonder he's wanting a transfer. He's like, I've been hammering away for, like, three years and I've not been promoted to supreme leader or anything, you know. Maybe it's been in the pub. That long. <laughs> you don't even know how long that he was working Starfleet in like that exactly. Either. Ooh, someone should do. Someone who's got video editing skills should do like a video of like them going, "Okay, Kirk, you've been made captain. You're being made vice admiral." And then it cuts to like Harry Kim watching it, and it does that. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what the teeth is actually? Is that you know we always say you get jobs by who you know and not what you know. yeah you know he should he should be well in there and, <laughs> and he's not even yeah. getting you know and I bet if Spock hadn't been too proud to set a horror on them like she could have got him promoted like yeah. that you know? yeah his I would not stand be... any admiral's chance against yeah, her his dad should be a good word but no no he's <laughs> not getting any of <laughs> oh, Plus, yeah. he can even play the endangered species card now. Exactly. He, yeah, he could be a diversity hire. But... Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's bad, isn't it? So they go, Kirk, here you'll do. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah, we're still gonna gonna pick the human over you, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Racist you know Federation what? buggers. You'd be up for that, wouldn't you? That would. That, yeah, you'd be in trouble for that, wouldn't you? In Starfleet, but then they do get, you know, it all goes wrong when they make Packled's captain just as a diversity thing and they just can't (laughs) hack it and it all goes terribly wrong. I'm just saying, look, they're a homo sapien only cop, as I believe I heard someone. Yes, I think the Klingons thought that was going on. Was that um, Star Trek 6? Star Trek 6, yeah. Uh, so before we get to the big space station and the questionable promotion to Vice Admiral and everything, 
we we get a really good scene with Bones and Kirk on the Enterprise where it's his birthday and it, it reflects that scene in Star Trek 2 where they're talking about his birthday, but it's also uh, very much like the scene in The Cage where you've got Pike talking to the Doctor and it's, yeah. oh, I've had enough, I want to yeah. leave. Uh, I thought that was really, really good. And the actors and, are and excellent. And uh, The Cage is there three years into the first five-year mission. Yeah, it? something like that. So... so yeah, it's. I think that's a really, really nice scene, and that's. Uh, I know I complained in the last film about how Kirk's arc doesn't really go anywhere, and I think it, in this one it does. We actually get somewhere with it. It's the the sort of learning to enjoy being out there kind of thing again, and yeah. I, I think we do get payoff to it in this one, so that works. And yeah, I think when they go to this Yorktown place, which is Elliot will know this better than me, but. Wasn't Yorktown the original going to be the original name of the ship, and the, before they changed it to Enterprise? Uh, yeah, the Yorktown has cropped up a lot, and a lot in Star Trek is Yorktown, but it's always been a ship. Yeah, so that's a nice little nod using oh, the name yeah. and everything. But also, isn't it before that that we get the? Uh, is it when we go to there, or before that that we get Spock with his? I think oh, it's, it's one. It's just once they've arrived, you get uh, yeah, pulled over by a couple sorry. of Vulcans. The Vulcans come up to him and they're like, ooh, I'll tell you a secret. Um, but like York, <laughs> Yorktown, I think, <laughs> looks amazing. I think the effects are incredible on it. And the way it's like spherical, but they've done it as though it's a planet. So there's bits going here, there and everywhere. And I really like the design of it. And I thought that was really effective, and obviously it's setting us up for the finale of the film when we come back to it. But I did think I did that was. To, I did say to Nicola, it's like I do miss the mushrooms, but at the same time, yeah. that's a pretty sexy looking uh, space. Station. Yeah, it is a yeah. <laughs> well, it's more a star base, isn't it? Like star base. Like you could think of this, like um, the ones we've seen previously, like in Star Trek. Star Trek 3 and Star Trek 4, the big star base, as almost Starfleet ones, where this is something for the Federation. Yeah, there's civilians mm. on it. and This is a Federation outpost, not a Starfleet outpost. And this is where we meet um, Sulu. So we find out Sulu's partner is male, which is yeah. a new thing. And this, okay. was, uh, this was sort of like, they did it in tribute to George Takei, um, yeah, but... George Takei wasn't impressed no, with it, though, was he? he wasn't. Oh, not? No, he no, says that Sulu had never been gay in the original series of Star Trek. He personally is, but why make it doesn't mean his character has to be. No. He was quite annoyed that they yeah, did Yeah, he said he thought it was great that they were having representation, but they picked the wrong character to do it with. You which... see, for me... It, it made perfect sense, though, because I can't remember one episode, and I'm probably wrong, I'll probably be very correct in this, but I can't remember any episode where Sulu particularly had a love interest. Or was there? And, Not uh, that I'm aware of. No, but there's, where, um, there's the one where he goes fencing, where he thinks he's D'Artagnan, <laughs> and he grabs the woman, doesn't he? He I does. Yeah, which... but like, he's under the influence of something then. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's... Yeah, but he's going, like, for what he's attracted to, isn't it? Okay, but it could say that he's attracted to men. I think he could be both. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't think there's anything emphatically to say that it, he wasn't gay in the original timeline, but just going but from I, George Takei's comments yeah. is that he always played Sulu as straight or what have you, but... Yeah. 
but, but it's... I think the response which uh, JJ Abrams had, uh, I think it was him who replied to it, uh, uh, but whoever it was from the kind of uh, crew, and I'd agree with this, is that um, it's like it was all about representation with Star Trek, and that's kind of the type of character that you didn't have previously, it was an LGBTQ character. I think because uh, Sulu, for me, because he was the least explored in that area, there wasn't much about him. No, not at all. Love interest with him, whereas with most of the other characters, they had one episode where they had love interest. Given that he was the one who had the least of those, and like one episode where it was suggested that he was straight as opposed to out and out said, I think he was the one most right for this. And it just, it seemed like just nice, just passing away. It wasn't, certainly no one could argue it was rammed down your throat. It was two scenes. Oh, not at all. No, I'm not. not rammed down your throat, no. I'm not. And I have have no problem with it, but George Takei himself did. Yeah, no. No, that's what you're saying. I just, I I was very surprised at his reaction, given that um, he gave the okay to make the character uh, Korean as opposed to Japanese. And yeah. like, this is a way of including that with, with doing it naturally without kind of forcing anything, without treading on anything we've really seen in the past. Like, you know, if you made Scotty uh, a gay character, which I wouldn't be against, but he has had female love interest on the TV show. There's there's something to suggest yeah, that, that yeah. isn't the case. Yeah. I think that was the best way of doing this. And I, I thought it was very well handled. So mm-hmm. I, I'm really, I'm actually just surprised that, um, you know, George is entitled, of course, as the guy who played the character to have his opinion. But I was really surprised by that, I must say. Yeah, it, I thought it was because they obviously did it as a tribute to him and how, yeah. uh, you know, how much of a sort of ambassador for the LGT community he's been and how how much work he's done in that area and every, you know, and I thought they, they probably expected that he'd, he'd be really happy with it, you know, but anyway, that's by the by. Um, also he's got a daughter and it, at first you think, oh, that must be Demora when she's young, but it can't be because the timeline doesn't add up unless they had a daughter younger in this timeline. And oh, again, it just gets a bit. Yeah. I never even thought about that. Yeah, would she not? Would she be too young then? Yeah, because she. Yeah, because she's so she's just what, the academy and shit. in generations. Yeah. So yeah, it, it it wouldn't unless she was just really young looking for her age in generations. But yeah, and that storyline where she goes into stasis for five or ten years. Like, that's the one. Yeah, the, the, that's the, in fan fiction. The the captain's daughter by Peter David. There's a, a novel all about Demora and everything. I don't think that happens in it, but. Um, <laughs> It's a good book, though. Um, yeah, so we've only got about five minutes into the film. We need to... Whoa. Right, <laughs> here we go. So, oh, yes, yeah, so this is where Spock um, gets the, the Vulcan message. And we also find out he's having a bit of bother with Ahura. They, they've kind of mm. broken up. Well, yeah, it's sort of... Which, yeah, she's right to break up with him. He said that he needs to go help repopulate his species. <laughs> yeah, basically. I've never heard that as a breakup excuse. It's right. It's so what Spock would inadvertently say, think he's cool saying it, yeah. and not yeah. seeing what he's saying. Not just saying we want different things or we need to do different things. It's, I need to go repopulate. But this oh. is a moment where it's all woven in really, woven in really nicely. So I think the news he gets from home, you know what it is before you see it. You do, the, isn't it? Uh, bit with a yeah. heart ties into that storyline very well. So I think that's all really nice and really cohesive. I love that bit. Yeah, and obviously, it, extra textually, you know what it's going to be because we know Leonard Nimoy's passed away in the meantime, so therefore, it has to be that, basically. But yeah, and that, the you know, there's some nice scenes about that. What 
What I found interesting though is that um, it. It, this, he says Ambassador Spock has died. I know we're jumping out it's sort of at the end where he actually talks about it, but that implies that the people of this timeline knew who old Spock was and knew that he was from the future. And Whereas I always got the impression in the first one that he was just going to go off and mingle with Vulcan society but not necessarily reveal who he was. But yeah. this is quite clearly implying, and it shows... It's got his date of birth and his date of death, and it's only about thirty years different, or you know, something silly like that. Because it's. So... I think for me, though, the the logic for that, or anyway, in my head was that, that the people closest to him in Vulcan knew, the people on the Enterprise knew. To anyone else, he just was a guy called Spock, as well as like this other Spock. I like to think of it in that way. There wasn't like you know, not everyone knew, but but they did. And whoever wrote the obituary. Say so, so again. Whoever wrote the obituary and put the dates on it. Yeah, that Obviously was one knew. of like the um, top that w- Vulcan yeah, yeah, people, yeah. and they knew it was going to Spock Junior, Spock Non Prime, Spock Spock Beta, yeah, if you will. Spock. Little Spock, like young well, sadly Spock. now just Spock because yeah. old Spock's they knew died. Was going so to Spock from Spock Prime, so they knew that it was like okay. He'll get this. Huh? <laughs> Do you reckon, like, Spock had a load of problems? Like, if old Spock wanted to email young Spock, do you reckon, like, he just got stuff like he was sending all the emails to himself and, you know... No, that... he had SpockPrime at gmail.com. The right. other one was Spock at gmail.com. So he had to set up a new account. Yeah. And would you want old Spock to, like, message you and say, oh, if you meet this woman, don't bother. You have a few dates and she's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean... He's probably going, you... You hooked up with her? Really? Like, oh, well no. done, son. Yeah, yeah. I was at my eye, but I was never bold enough upon the uh, stuff. And then you managed to ditch her by saying you were off to repopulate the planet. Well played. You know? That's classic ass. Spot yeah. fine. That's the one. <laughs> but yeah. You know what? If, no, if any man tries that and doesn't get a slap, that would be I'm gonna, I'm going to keep that one in case I ever have to use it, but... After we've got done at Yorktown, then this is where the the meat of the plot actually kicks in then. So they've got to go on a mission. They've got this alien woman. And basically they've got to go, is it into a into find an uncharted planet or something? She's saying that her her companions have been trapped on this planet and they've got to go rescue them. Is that yeah, so she still spins a yarn about, like, yeah, it's just about a rescue mission, yeah. and, you know, uh, and obviously she's working the other side. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a weekly, it, it's kind of like, um, it, it's a rescue mission. Yeah, yeah and I like the way the Universal Translator works with her, because we, we've never really seen that before, where yeah. she's speaking her own language, but it's translating real time kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that that's the sort of one you can only really do in a film, because... I imagine that it's quite a pain in terms of editing and special effects and everything to to get it across. And if you tried to do that on a weekly basis on TV, it's just not going to cut it. But I like that they they kind of show that in this bit. But of course, it all turns out to be a trap, and they get ambushed by these swarm ships. And mm-hmm. now I I quite like the swarm ship. It's become one of these things that you seem to see it in every single big budget action film where you've got this big whirly swirly swarm of things like all the Transformers films seem to have one and the Matrix had one and it, it you know, I, I think it, it works within this film but 
it just feels a little bit familiar, if that makes sense. The thing which I thought about when I was watching this this time, which I've never thought about before, was it reminds me of the uh, webs, uh, web of uh, whatever it's called, the, the episode where the uh, you've got the little triangular ships which are drawing webs. Oh, yeah, the Tholian web. Tholian web, of course. And it just reminds me of a kind of like an updated version of that. So whereas that was a web and spiders, this is a swarm of kind of bees, bees. and they can go around you. And I thought maybe that was like a little nub there, maybe. You know, it's a dynamic way of doing Yeah, that it could well thing. be. I'd not thought of it that way, but I think it's more just, for me, it's just the, the actual effect, the way it looks. And I think it just, it, it's of that era that clearly some really clever special effects person invented this new thing of, oh, look, we can do this whirly-swirly metal thing, and everyone went, yep, we want one of them in the film. Kind of yeah. like kind of like where every single yeah. trailer for a while had that noise where it would just go, boom, boom, <laughs> boom. And every trailer, Planet of the Apes, boom. But anyway, I'm getting carried yeah. away. No, I know what you mean. But like, are we going to talk generally about the ship going down? Yeah, let's... Because, I mean, for me, I'm going to just go out there and say, I don't like it. I, I I think it is too early on in the movie. You're not invested enough with everything else that's happening. Yep. I like a ship to get destroyed near the end of the film where I'm already good and worked up over everything else happening. Then it feels like you're losing... Like, this feels like a skin of death kind of evil for the Enterprise. Yeah. It gets killed at the beginning of the film. You're not invested enough into the plot. You're, you're kind of concentrating on what else is happening. I didn't like every other time I've seen a starship like this or a main ship from a TV show getting destroyed. It really gets me. It's like, oh my God, like, you know, in, in Star Trek 2, when you see it kind of getting the Enterprise getting destroyed by Khan, you feel that loss from Kirk. I didn't get anything. Like, they're not, they're too busy with other things for them even to be invested in why yeah. they're getting destroyed and feeling sad about the ship. There's no moment where they mourn the ship. No, it doesn't feel as earned either the, than it did in the original one. This is something else that I found interesting that, you know, one of, as we've talked about, like one of the big criticisms of Into Darkness was, oh, it's just a remake of Wrath of Khan. And they sort of went out of the way on this one to go, yeah, 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 you know, we're not, we're not going to copy anything, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be totally different, totally original. And it's like, okay, so what are we going to do in Star Trek 3? We'll blow up the Enterprise. Oh, you mean like happens in... Star Trek Three, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was like a little yeah, so bit it's weird. Three, course, isn't it? So it's three. It's not with Khan. Sorry, yeah, I'm getting my movie. Yeah, it's um, with the uh, Klingons. Yeah, I, I didn't mind that bit. I really didn't mind that bit. And as for mourning, I mean, Jim did stay on the ship right at the end to see the ship. Yeah, he, he almost went down with the ship without going to the ship, so to speak. But um, and they had to be stranded on that planet. Oh, I get it. I get it works for yeah. the plot, but it's just like for me, like even going to the next generation films, when you see the Enterprise D getting destroyed, that is a big emotional hit when you see that yeah, yeah. ruin. And then you get a scene later on where Picard and Riker sort of say their goodbye to the ship. I didn't get this with this one. Yeah. I just didn't get any care about this ship and it being destroyed. Yes, he did go down with the ship, like, and he did his duty as a captain. But it wasn't personal. In the but ship. for me, this is where I think the good stories is when they are stranded. Yeah, yeah. I think that I know we're not going to. Sorry, just brushing it a little bit. I I love the pairing that they do. Yeah. Like with you put Spock with Bones, and I love that they're pairing people up, and that for yeah. me is just great. And I like that the the doing 
sort of pairings we've not seen, at least in this yeah. version of it. It's like, we're going to put Kirk with Chekhov. We're going to put yeah. Bones and Spock together to get more of that dynamic. And uh, we're oh, going to... Hilarious, great scenes. Yeah, we're, we're going to put Sulu with Ahura. You know, so I like yeah. that they're, they're mixing it up with that. And yeah, the, obviously the main sort of part of the film is we're on this planet, we've got to work out a way of getting off and you get to see kind of the ingenuity of it, the cleverness of the characters and everything. I, I like that setup, and it's... It, until we get to the end, it's not a somebody's going to destroy the whole universe thing. It's it, it's a smaller story in that sense, but it gives us chance to spend a bit of time with the characters and everything. So, yeah, I think this is the best bit of the film. Can I, can I ask you as well, what did you think? Because obviously, as I say, the, the uh, Bones and um, Spock thing really goes back to the original series. Yeah, yeah. Busting each other, but really having respect. That was lovely. Uh, but what do you think? Like, I really enjoyed the, is it Kayla? The, uh, Jayla. Alien? With, um, sorry? Jayla. Jayla. Jayla, Jayla, sorry. Jayla with uh, uh, Scotty. I was really enjoying that dynamic. Yeah. And I thought... For me, even, you could have had a bit of a love interest. Like, uh, uh, Nicola pointed out she's a bit younger than him. Maybe you just cast her a bit older or, you know, something. But mm. I think you could have had the really interesting love interest then. But as soon as Kurt comes in, you lose the dynamic with them. I thought that was a really strong relationship. And I really yeah. liked giving Scotty a bit more on this. What, what did you think of that? Yeah, I'd agree with it. I think that it is really good. And the, the her calling him Montgomery Scotty and all this. Oh, and yeah. the fact that they're both engineers and she lives in an old starship. And like the bit where she puts the music on and he's like, is that music? And they're sort of bickering over whether the music's any good. And I think she's a really good new addition to it. She's a really interesting character. And yeah. I would have liked, if we do get this fourth film, I would like to see her involved in some way. But Maybe you, you put her in, like, you know, you check off, because they've said they're not going to replace yes. her. Uh, so maybe Chekhov is off another sign and she's kind of filling in there. Maybe yeah. you bring her in in that way. Like, I mean, I think that, I just thought it, it seemed like a, a um, studio note that uh, I, I have this feeling in an original draft, mm. the Scotty relationship with her was maybe a bit more explored. Whereas the studio's gone, oh no, you've got Kirk here now. You've got to have him more involved. I, it just felt like someone had interfered with the script to me. Yeah, and Simon Pegg's I, just... I yeah, I think Simon Pegg probably would have written to himself a bit, which fair play. You know, yeah, he's yeah. He's the new character a bit more. He's written, we want this gorgeous young character to come in <laughs> and she's going to be stuck with Scotty for most of the film. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And then she goes back to the cave and there's hundreds of other gorgeous women and these just... <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It and really took... They need, you know, their, their species is suffering from lack of males to spread their seed. <laughs> What's Scotty going to do? Yeah, Scotty <laughs> has to leave to repopulate the species and that's the <laughs> I love my engines but right now they need yeah, yeah you I never know the it, <laughs> it could up the other engine it could be one of them that you know we, we hashtag release the peg cut of Star Trek Beyond and we'll find out what he actually wanted I, I would love to see if there was a version of the script he originally wrote with more of that and the studio got but probably he couldn't you know, if if he's hoping for more films, he probably could say yet anyway. You know, maybe in a few yeah. years when they... But yeah, there's definite chemistry between the two of them. And like you say, it would have been it would have been good to explore it a bit more. Because it, 
the like Nicholas said that them them bunches of pairings that we get are really interesting, and then it yeah. does lose a bit of something when the crew manages to get back together, and that's when sort of the plot has to move forward and everything. But it, it, it is. I'd have happily spent more time just watching those interactions and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd even say that what they do so well here, which I think in Discovery and a few other versions they haven't quite nailed in the same way, is they're really good at the kind of just one line saying a lot. Like when yeah. uh, they've got the bickering between Spock and Bones, and Spock just says, I would have thought my respect for you would have been obvious. Yeah. Just says that and they move on. They don't dwell on it. They don't have to go, yes, because you're my family. Yes, you are. You know, they I don't. Love you. Yeah, whereas yeah. in Discovery, they do usually like those really long emotional scenes, which aren't bad. Yeah, they like, do. <laughs> a few times with Spock, I want those pulled back. I just want it to be one line. He says what he's saying. No one makes him say more because they know he's a Vulcan and he doesn't feel comfortable with yeah. that. Yeah. And probably Bones is more comfortable with that as well, in all fairness. No, it's the, the Spock and Bones stuff is really, really good. And oh. the, like, well, I don't think we've ever had, like, McCoy actually admit that he likes Spock in any version... Oh, sorry, Spock admit that he actually likes McCoy in any version of it. I mean, obviously, it's clear in the original series, but, yeah, it's good to actually get that and to have that realisation between them. Well, it's their fine line. They dance on, like, they just managed to give Spock that little bit more emotion in this version, which is justified in the slightly different life he's led and the way things worked out, but without ruining him being a logical being which i don't think many versions have got that right i think the original series the next generation and yeah. these movies are the only real ones where they got vulcan exactly right mm. i feel like other versions always have to tip the emotion a bit more and they have to you know find a way of i don't know i just let a vulcan be a vulcan yeah yeah i can i mean i think i'm a bit more forgiving of it than you are but i absolutely see where you're coming from Oh, and in the middle of all this, we get, as we were talking about action sequences, you get the thing with the saucer flipping over with um, Kirk and Chekhov. And yeah, this sort of feeds into, I think, a little bit what you were saying about them not mourning for the ship and everything. It's, you know, they're in the hull, not the hull, they're in the saucer of what was their home and everything. And it's just used to stage a big, big action scene, which admittedly looks spectacular, but... Yeah, there's something Maybe missing. Maybe you could have even played into the theme of, like, you know, Kirk going inside Kirk. Oh, just to think yesterday I was bored of this, and now, you know, look what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Ship, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Or just had a bit where, you know, he looks at the captain's chair or something, sadly. Yeah. Sort of remorsefully. Yeah. Yeah, because you even had that later on in the film, which I did like, when uh, um, Jailer's in the uh, captain's chair and moves out, and then he's, like, acting as if he doesn't cope. Okay, then on his way past, just pats the captain. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Why not have the same respect for his own ship? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's a weird one. But the the baddie alien gets squished anyway. The the baddie <laughs> alien who was clearly going to be a bad guy. Anyway, squish, dead, move on. Yeah. So the main villain then, let's get on to him. So first of all, why are you hiring Idris Elba and covering him in mountains of... Latex. I know he's an alien, but come on. I, I bet he was more up for it because I bet he really wanted to, because like he's an actor's actor. He loves acting. He loves kind of uh, when you're able to transport yourself into someone else. I do get like because I've heard that argument from a lot of people. I do yeah. get it. You know, 
you you interest you want Idris Elba, you want new money on the screen, and maybe they could have done that in a few flashbacks and a few kind of scenes later. But I do kind of like that you got to be someone completely different. Like this is a really great performance, yeah, and it doesn't feel like Idris Elba, and that's kind of a compliment to him as an actor but it's so it's it's tough and also it leads into the bit later on when you see them at the party on the video isn't it where oh yeah you realize who it was in the story because otherwise they'd be like oh that's him so it kind of just lead into that bit yeah very true if you want to if you want to bring in idris elba looking like idris elba have a few flashbacks to the captain like have a few captains log and just have the reveal at the end. Mm. The I mean, they do very briefly have a couple of logs and things, but not until very late in the game. All yeah. I'm saying is, I bet there were some women who were disappointed that they didn't get to see more of Idris Elba. That's <laughs> Yeah, sure, women. Yeah, I didn't see a shower scene at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, he is great. And the other thing about this character then... Did it work for everyone, this idea that he's using this machine and sucking people's life force and that makes him take on the features of that one? Did that come across clearly? Because I know that some people have been really confused by it and don't think there's enough to really show how this thing works and it just gets a bit, why does he look like that now? And I I understand how it's happened, but... It was it was confusing the first time I saw it. Why is it turn? Why have the turn like that? Yeah, and it, it's weird yeah. because we've not seen him very much in one makeup, and then they change it to another makeup, and you're like, well, wait a minute, is that the same guy? Is that is that different yeah. makeup? Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah, on a rewatch, it is you can follow it, but yeah, I think maybe. Maybe it could have yeah, been like I saw this at the cinema. I went to see the triple bill when it came out. Yeah. So I was watching this at midnight after I'd been sat watching yeah. four or five hours of Star Trek already. So it was it it wasn't straightforward the first time I watched it. Yeah. No, I, I think the thing is because they want to save it for the reveal. Yeah. So you didn't get there too quickly. It was a bit forced at the end, and like it wasn't fully enough kind of explained. I think if you're going to do that, you have to really make it clear. And I don't think they quite did. Do no. They require you to read between the lines, essentially, through that bit. Yeah, I mean, like I've heard um, again, Matt, Matt Morrow, like I mentioned from the James Bonding podcast, he also does Star Trek Next Conversation, which mm. I, I, I'm a big fan of. And one thing which he said on there is like, I hate it when they expect me to read like. Uh, three side novels which really go into it or a like a countdown to uh, Picard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like they're fleshed out a lot in the side bits which they've done around it but in the actual piece of work they're actually just quickly mentioned and it's just frustrating when you've got to, you know, you feel like you have to know something really evident on the screen and I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I mean the worst offender for that were the Matrix sequels where they were like, well, you've got to watch the eight episodes of the Animatrix and you've got to play through the game Enter the Matrix, but you've got to play through it as both characters because they have slightly different stories. And it's like, can't I just watch the film? I mean... And you've got to imagine those two sequels were any good. Yeah, I'm going to say, in the case of the Matrix sequels, (laughs) you'd probably been better not watching the film, but, you know. But yeah, I, I take the point. And because it's one thing if... You have a little detail in a film, and then somebody writes a book about it, and then when you watch the film again, you go, oh, you know what actually happens there? But you don't require to have read that to understand it. That's the the difference. The side reading should elevate it, not be an excuse for not making time in the film. Exactly, yeah. 
And, yeah, so, yeah, we're basically getting into some of the action now, aren't we? So, they oh, have to... the action. They, they, yeah. Action. They have to... They have to stage a rescue, and Kirk gets a motorbike, and... Like, I might have missed it. Did we talk about the Franklin at all when we went on board there? No, we've not gone the right lot into it. What what have you got? I don't know if you noticed, um, when Scotty first goes on and he looks at it, it's Gen X365. Yeah. Yes, I know it's the NX bit. Yeah, well, NX is for experimental ship. Yeah, it is. Like, I know we had the NX01, the Enterprise, Hmm. and it was uh, up to four... But really, at 365, it's still an <laughs> experimental ship. Well, the Excelsior was the NX-2000. But that was the first um, of that class of ship. True. And the Defiant... And it had the Transwarp. But this isn't this isn't the same class as the Archer's Enterprise. It is, it's different. Well, this is, the, this is a Starship class. Yeah, so that, that, that particular one, I would... I mean, what I was just getting from that is that that particular one of, of that model had some experimental features on. Just because it isn't the first of that type doesn't mean it isn't the first to have this experimental whatever. Yeah. yeah. That would be my impression. I mean, like, to me, I thought they were just going for... It's obviously a continuation from Enterprise. Yeah. Class ship. And yeah. I thought that... I, I just got the impression that somebody lazy had, had gone the Enterprise with an NX-01... So this is the 365 off the line. Ah, well, this is... We still call it an NX. This is why you need to read the spin-off novel, Countdown to Franklin, where it explains (laughs) where all this comes from. But but yeah, I mean, I quite... I like that the Franklin looks kind of like the original Enterprise. You know, the, the... Enterprise, Enterprise, Archer's Enterprise. So you can see, like, a through line there, and it's... It, it's not a Kelvin timeline ship because it's before, presumably before the divergence happened and everything. I like that they wrote some stuff in from Enterprise because obviously Enterprise is the only one that has still happened in the Kelvin timeline. So you get this thing about Idris Elba was a Mako and I like that they're, they're tying in a few things there. I think that's where you can see like Simon Pegg's geekiness coming into the script is that you know, he clearly loves Star Trek lore and he's wanting to put in these little nods and everything. I do, I enjoy little details like that. And plus there was a nice thing about, like, just in that one line which you got, but where where they've talked about, like, the fact that the Makos got put to one side when uh, it became the Federation. Yeah. And he, he's there, he says it's like, in one line, he goes like, uh, yeah, I was just, oh, I'm going to forget the line completely, but it's like, it's something along the lines of, like, uh, I was just discarded by history. Yeah. You get these kind of parallels to real-life events where people, through <coughs> history moving on, people have been made obsolete, and you get the feeling of that. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. And things, you know, it, it sort of tie, you know, speaks to this thing that you see a lot, explored in a lot of fiction, where it's, what does a soldier do when the war's over? And it's, in the case of this guy, it's, right, the wars are done, and I think the name checked the the Zindi and the Romulans, and it's like, well, we're going to make you the captain of a ship, and it's it's not the right thing for him. That's not what he's built for. And yeah. and that does tie into Kirk's storyline, because it's Kirk's realising, no, I am built for that. This guy wasn't, but th- that is my forte kind of thing. So you do get the themes are kind of working hand in hand, unlike Into Darkness, where it, they're just kind of all over the place. Um, 
So, yeah, the, the motorbike. How do we feel about the motorbike? I, I don't mind the motorbike, per se, for me. Yeah, I'm indifferent about it. I just didn't like the whole thing of having um, this length of uh, action scene right after two other action scenes. So we yeah. had a bit on the Enterprise. We had a bit, like, somewhere else. Like, you had a lot of action scenes back-to-back, which, for me, just, like, I like one central action piece in a Star Trek mm. film. This felt a bit much. Sorry, Nicole. No, I was going to say that that really didn't. The action didn't bother me. I thought it was quite good pace, and I remember thinking I liked it better because that's the only one I haven't watched sort of over and over again. Yeah, me too. I've watched it and just thought, oh yeah, it's okay. But actually, I really quite enjoyed it much more on the second, you know, on the second watch. So I think I cut you off before, Elliot. Yeah, uh, like I'm wondering the motorbike. Is it a petrol motorbike or something else? Because it seems a bit odd. It's a petrol motorbike that's still gonna just run them straight yeah. off. <laughs> like petrol itself goes off after a couple of years. Well, space petrol. Yeah, space petrol. Space petrol. Dilithium, oh, dilithium juice. It runs on. They put the old Romulan air in it. Yeah. And a banana. I think dilithium <laughs> juice is something which uh, Kirk takes before a uh, wild night with a lady. <laughs> No, Kirk doesn't need dilithium juice, you know. He is the dilithium juice. <laughs> <laughs> There's two ladies in that hotel room, like, all night. He might just need a bit of... Di- even he might <laughs> So, once everybody's rescued, then, I do enjoy... I suppose it's not as much an action sequence, but it's an exciting sequence where you get... Where they basically drop the ship off a cliff and... Um, Fly it no, away I like and everything. how Kirk turns around to Sulu and goes, can you actually fly this? And Sulu turns around, are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah, nice moment. And then, yeah, then we are on to more and more action sequences again. So what about the sabotage scene then? Where do we come down on that? I, I love sabotage, so like the music bits were kind of quite fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, it, they timed it nicely as well. Like, I know it's obviously done deliberately, but... Yeah, I really like it. Like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's not Star Trek. You shouldn't have contemporary music and blah 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 blah. But I, I just thought, no, exactly. I thought it was great fun. I really like it, and and it, it is sort of the centerpiece of the film. It's you know when you think of Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, which is good because. You get a little bit where when he realises what the plane is, like, ah, yeah, yeah. Good choice. Yeah, exactly. So I like, I love that. I think that's great. And what I noticed about this scene is when they get into Yorktown again, you've got McCoy and Spock are buzzing about in a swarm ship and you've got the Franklin going through the thing and you've got the other swarm ships going about and all that. And it reminded me of a car chase. You know, it seemed like you've got, all these different, and then there's a big crash and everything. And yeah. it, funnily enough, the director of this film, Justin Lin, made a load of the Fast and Furious films. Yes. So I always thought, right, well, that's why there's a motorbike there, and that's why. But yeah. No, I quite like the chase and going into your time. I No, I'm not saying I don't like it. I just, I just thought that that's where the director's putting his stamp on the film. No, I was just going to say, actually, I didn't forget a. Uh, the absolute favourite bit for me of this film was when actually um, you know Kirk's off to go aboard the swarm ship yeah. and um, uh, Spock goes oh no I think I should because I've got some knowledge of it 
and they're like, well, you can't go alone, you're injured. And he's like, well, well I could take someone that, A, you know, <laughs> uh, basically. Yeah. Someone who's familiar with my injuries, oh, someone who's uh, familiar with the ship as well. It was like, that was a favourite moment for me because before they show who they're going to ask, you just know and you're like, oh. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, James Roundtree goes, oh, he's got to love that, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And you've had your cake, you've had your cake and eating it too with the the um, Spock and McCoy thing. So you've had them actually working together, and then you've had the classic thing of um, Spock doing something with a nice intention, which yeah. totally screws McCoy over yeah. and leads us brilliantly into one of their classic yeah. bust up come arguments. And they're just Not- about to be beamed, and in he goes, "You did this, didn't you?" Yeah. <laughs> Great, I love that. Bit. No, it's lovely, and I mean, again, there's none. There's none of the scenes per se I, I even disagree with in any of the action scenes, but it's just like, I wish they were spread out a bit better. I kind of like the fact that Lynn brings his own sensibilities to it. And when he's doing the um, the Enterprise cutting through warp, he kind of shows it from the side, which is the first time it's ever been done in Star Trek. There's some lovely moments and because when, I think he's an action director. When it I shows it like, launch, it, it sort of shows the neck of the ship and you can see the nacelles behind and yeah. When you've got the action scene with the motorbike and then you've got the... A big action scene coming up the New time, which is very dynamic, very good, very needed. I think some space between those two yeah. huge action pieces would have been nice. So go on, Elliot. I was just saying that scene James talks about with uh, you know, the Enterprise from the deck with themselves. I've always thought the perspective looks wrong when I look at that. It doesn't look mm. right. The themselves look too close. Yeah, it does. It looks weird. Definitely, I agree. It it's unusual, but. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's a CG model, so they can make it look however they want. So yeah, it just looks like they brought, brought the nacelles in far too close. Though they did, Sorry. they did redesign the nacelles for this film. It's the Enterprise is a a slightly different design than it was in the first two. I think they've made the nacelles slimmer, and they have brought yeah. them in a bit. But which I prefer a bit because I must admit, in the other two films, when they went to warp, and you saw. The body of the Enterprise going into warp, and then themselves following after with these huge lumpy yeah. cells. It just it, it never sat right for me. So I think actually making them a bit more sleek, I, I prefer yeah. for me anyway. Yeah. That that hits on again when like when they're blown up the Enterprise in this one. None of us were massive fans of the new Enterprise. We all love <laughs> the original, so no one's massively invested that we lost it. Yeah, yeah I was forty. Yeah. Then. In the obviously we get the fight between Kirk and the bad guy. Now, one thing I did like in this is there's a bit where it looks like the bad guy's going to come and help him because he's like, oh, I can't, I can't do this. And I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those. Well, he was always a Starfleet captain, you know, and he couldn't do. And the fact that they don't do that, I was really pleasantly surprised. I was like, no, that that's great. Because, like, yeah. there's that well, voice. They, they do talk about it, don't they, with him? Like, he'd been on these macros. Yeah. Basically, space marines. And when they did away with the military, they just threw him onto his. made him a captain of a starship in the Federation, but it's not Starfleet. Yeah. And I like that they don't do this bad guy redemption right at the end thing, because I think that's a trope that. It can work really well, like, you know, in Star Wars with Darth Vader, spoilers for Return of the Jedi, but... Um, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, 
you know, I think it can work well, but I also think it can be overplayed, and it can be, like in the Voyager two-parter Equinox, where Captain Ransom's just been a scummer for two episodes, but then at the end it's like, no, he's a Starfleet captain, he'll always do the right thing, yeah. and you just, oh, really? Just let yeah, the... Like, he had no problem killing people. No. It's just been a Exactly, it's just, yeah, I like that they kind of subvert that, because um, I was sort of mid-groan when Kirk turns around and boots him, and I'm like, yay, good. And I also, I really like the fact that we're having this uh, massive, uh, big fight, very dynamic, and it's in the middle of an Escher painting. So you've yeah. got the kind of bending gravity is really well served in this. Yes. It doesn't feel like it's just one long CGI effect. It does look like stuff's really happening. They've However they did that effect, it looks wonderful. And yeah, I think it's that's, great. Because that could have looked so shitty. And, you know, uh, it reminds me of there's an a, a episode of Dog T, the first one with Peter Davidson, where they go oh, into yeah, yeah. Calva, and they go to these staircases, which is exactly like the Asher paint. They walk in one place, come out the other. They're walking upside down. And it's, it's, yeah. and, and it's like that. Someone's seen that and they've gone, yep, I think we could do that 3D in the min- middle of a massive bloody yeah. planet. Um, um, uh, base, you know, uh, it, it, it's wonderful. It looks great. And then, yeah, we sort of get to the the epilogue of the film. So this is where we get a little bit more about you. You get young Spock getting the picture of old Spock, and oh, that's lovely. Oh. Oh, I, I just, I, I love the fact that you've obviously had Spock Prime as our way into, and I've always maintained that the beauty of this is, and some other people argue about that, and it's fine, but for me, just having Spock Prime there means everything you've ever loved that's happened before has happened. Yeah. It's all real, it all exists, all the next generation, everything right up to when Spock left, we've seen happen, has all happened. Yeah. And now this is happening. And having that picture there is the ethos of that. It's like, it's not just Spock, which we've seen so far. We see the whole original crew and what all these people are struggling with the change timeline to become. And like, you know, you've got Spock who's dealing with not only a mentor, but someone who's literally, if he lives his life the best he can, he can only hope to become the same yes. man as he became yeah. in that time. Right? He's seen his life done right. Can you think of the immense pressure of that? And then see that picture, it was just it was beautiful. I like that brings a tear to my eyes. Well, maybe that was how he said recently that he could do He's got to go repopulate his species. Spock never did that. Well, maybe like that's the only way he's got, like, because he can't exactly be the other Spock because everything's changed because his planet doesn't. Yeah, that's it. So maybe the most Spock-like thing he can don't do underneath the circumstances is do that. Yeah, but the the lesson he sort of learns in this one is, you know, you've got to be you. You've got to be your version of you rather than his version of you kind of thing. And my only issue with it is that the picture they use is a cast photo from Star Trek V, and it's like, I don't need reminding of Star Trek V. It's six, isn't it? No, it's five. You can tell by a horror's hair. Oh, okay. I'm sorry if I've ruined that for you. If it had been six, it would have been lovely. But no, no, it's five. I believe Melly. It's okay. (laughs) true yes and sulu wouldn't have been there in six uh yeah and also um vulcan lady and uh, kim control would be what yeah, yeah yeah so i can understand why but it's like don't remind me of star trek 5 now <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> 
Honestly, I just blocked it out in my head. I was like, oh, it must be six. Da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> there is no Star Trek V. It's a really oddly numbered system, but yeah. And yeah, then. You remember when, um, when Sulu beamed onto the bridge for that photo in, in Star Trek VI? Yes, that was it. And her. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, it all, you know, it all wraps up and we get the... They do mention earlier on in the film we've got an even better ship under construction. And then, obviously, that becomes the Enterprise A. I was hoping the design would be a bit different rather than just looking yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, it was very much the same. Like, we've got a more advanced ship. Like, what's this Enterprise? Now, we're looking at maybe five, six years old. Yeah. If not, maybe slightly more... I mean, I know... The next advance is exactly the same. To me, I can hardly tell any difference. I don't think there is. You don't have to do it exactly the same as the original Enterprise that we know from our childhood, but maybe just have a little few nods, a few more nods, maybe make it look a little bit more like the Enterprise and Enterprise A from the movies. That's what... That's where I thought we were going with it. And I, I remember watching that sequence the first time and being really excited, like, oh, we're going to sit in this. Oh, it's the same one. Uh, okay. Yeah, to me, I've, like, I've looked it up. They are slight, there's very slight differences. Right. But you don't notice it on screen. No. I mean, I suppose the other argument is that in the original timeline, the Enterprise A is exactly the same as the Enterprise refit. So there is precedent for it, but... Yeah, but, but we've never it, seen it the refit. It like they've also said that the Enterprise here wasn't a new machine. It true. It was just a constitution that was rechristened. Yes, very true. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, that's just for me. I would have liked it to have been a bit different, but it means we get to see the ship warping off again as we do at the end of all these films. And, you know, it's a nice they do the the voiceover and they have different members of the cast taking different lines and that's very nice and i like the credit sequence that you get the big green hand pops out and because they referenced that earlier as well which is a call out to the original series so Yeah. yeah there's some really good stuff i just it it just doesn't stick in my memory too much this film it's it's a weird one there's a lot i like about it and you know it if somebody put it on, I'd happily watch it, but I don't think I'd ever go out of my way to watch this one. I, I think, yeah. to me, it's funny because uh, with the the reverse of what I found with the second one and third one, like, so when I first watched the second one, I was annoyed by a lot of stuff, which on rewatch, I can just enjoy it on its own terms. On this third one, I think I was so excited by everything seen the first time mm. and all those action sequences because I'd never seen them before. I didn't mind how close together they were, but then on rewatch, it's like, it's a lot of action, not like, you know, we're just slowing down for me, the plot, you know, I, I yeah. missed the kind of plotting more. And so kind of like two's gone up in my estimation as three's gone down and they kind of met in the middle. So I like, yeah. like, 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 yeah, enjoyed I, more on the rewatch. I, you see, I think two is a more consistent film all the way through of never like of being good, but never necessarily being great. Three of some moments are great, but some moments where I really just mm. get bored by too much action. So, well, Elliot? No, I just like how you said that. Two never really gets good, but it's consistently good. <laughs> It's consistently okay. It's consistently good, not great. Yeah. So let's, we'll give it a rating then. So what are we going to rate yeah. this one out of? Um, We've got it. Oh, it's got to be something in the film. Oh, sorry? Well, it could be out of beats. How many beats would you give it? 
How many bees? In the swamp ship, yeah. Oh, I was thinking dilithium. How many dilithium? How much dilithium? Out of my motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, we can't. What? what well, bees, bees is good. We'll, we'll go with bees. So, uh, Elliot, how many bees for Star I'm Trek Beyond? Give this one seven bees. Seven bees. Nicola. Yeah. Now. If, if we'd done it on the first watch, I'd have probably said six Bs, but I'm going to go with Elliot and say seven Bs. Okay, Squee. See, I'm trying to remember what I gave the last one because I want to give it the same. <laughs> I think I gave the last one, was it six or seven? I think you did. Uh, six, or did you give it 6.5? I know I give the last one a six. Oh, you did well, the gonna, same then. I'm going to give both of them a 6.5, okay? Like, I'm going to retrospectively give the other one 6.5 because I think, again, when it was great, it was great in this one. Yeah. Where it lost me, it lost me. And, and you know, so on average. I'm going to go seven as well, I think. I, it, it's too good to, you know, it's too entertaining to go, yeah, there's something fundamentally yeah. wrong with it. But it's just not got that thing that elevates it for me. Um, so, yeah. Overall, I do enjoy the Kelvin films. Yeah, I mean, I think... Oh, sorry. They don't, they don't deserve yeah oh that's just ridiculous yeah no i mean I, I i really enjoyed them i i think it's a really great series of films the casting is wonderful sometimes yes. they really nail it in the first one they nail it consistently yeah. in the other ones you get at least some great moments of nailing it yeah i think this last the last one is third one it's the character yeah yeah, so what what I'd be hoping for is if maybe the fact that it has been forced to have been rested a bit longer means when it does come back, and if they get an auteur of a director as opposed to just a big name, maybe that will give it something that can be, we'll go back to that 2009, someone's just got a yeah. really good vision for it. I would um, hope so. Um, I'd like to point out, though, that we've done, discussed the film in depth, and no one has pointed out that the title sounds like a madness song. Oh, the whole tiling. That's the other thing. I want the next film to have a proper bloody name. Not not Beyond, not Into Darkness. Have a real name that's actually about the film. Not this bullshit kind of... Yeah, like, but Star Trek Beyond. Do, 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 do. But well, it is. It's just at the time that they really was the final frontier. Oh, I know, but like Into Darkness, Beyond. Like, well, it sounds like darkness. Aftershaves. It does, actually. <laughs> beyond for men. Into darkness by Armani. Oh my god! <laughs> Later on, is when they all get older. It's like Star Trek Old Spice. Yeah, exactly. It's like perfect. I, I want which would have been the original films. Yeah. Young, it's like, yeah it's like, and then as a young one, when they're like Lenny Lars, it's like Star Trek Limp. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to see the next one have an actual proper. Yeah, movie. a proper like, title. Discovered country. How motive was that? There Even you go. Like the final frontier, even though it's a, yeah, yeah, but it's a good title. Yeah, but like, yeah, the, the, the Voyage they were all wonderful emotive titles in the original. Yeah. So. Don't use Star Trek as a verb. That's the that's the issue when they're going with this Into Darkness Beyond. Bring back the colon and stop yeah. making it one thing. So yes. we'll, we'll wrap up then, guys. But before we do, Squee, I believe you've got a new podcast out there that people should be listening to. I do. Uh, yes, uh, so we're two episodes into the uh, audio version, and it's uh, Do- the Dr. Squee Show. It's just self-titled, and it's just me interviewing someone different every week. The first episode, we had the now late, great Tim Brooke Taylor, 
who I interviewed at Sci-Fi Ball earlier in the year. I was so lucky. And it's a really bittersweet honor to have uh, one of his last interviews. Yeah. Had such a good time. I, he said some wonderful, nice things to me, which just meant the world. I grew up listening to him on, uh, I'm sorry, I'm clear, but he also did the goodies. He was in uh, Woody Wonka and the Chocolate yeah, Factory. Yeah. And the he he co-wrote the Four Yorks, the Four Yorks. <laughs> that alone should be a Hall of Fame moment. So please do listen. A second episode just come out with Paul McCaffrey, who's a stand-up comedian who uh, has uh, done the UK and Practical Jokers and been live in the Apollo. He's done one, loads of wonderful stuff. Uh, one thing I would ask, because we're getting some wonderful hits on our uh, Facebook page, which please do watch the video versions we're doing there. Mm. There's some versions going on there which haven't been podcast, some podcasts which haven't been there. But at the moment, we're, I'm trying to build up hits on the podcast, so please do subscribe. The Dog Squeeze Show, so far it's on everywhere apart from, for some reason, Google Podcasts, but I think it'll appear there in the next few days because I've put in a request. Um, so please do subscribe because that's what we really need on, on that version. But thank you for everyone. We've we've had um, thousands of like uh, views on the video version. Awesome. Which we're doing quite regularly to give people some entertainment during lockdown. This Saturday we're going to be part of Sci-Fi in the Sky if this is launched before that. So, well, if not, <laughs> listen back to that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll put the link up there. It'll be there. Just quickly before I, I, I shut up, um, uh, Nicola agreed to be um, my fiance this week, and I've never been happier. So thank Aww. you. Yeah, thank congratulations. You. Is it going to be a traditional Beta Z wedding? Well, I've asked, but you know, apparently <laughs> uh, I'll be ogling at the bridesmaids too. Just, just, and I've given a list of bridesmaids I want. I have. I all my life I've been seeing the Judzia Dax. Um, dress. Oh, the Klingon one. So think, think that, and then think what it'll be like. <laughs> and I might have my own Matt Smith's touch with the top hat from Doctor Who. Uh. There we are. So we're going to be now that we've wrapped up the films. The next time the four of us are going to be chatting, we're going to be talking about our favourite Trek characters. Yes. Um, me and Elliot are going to be going off and doing a focus on time travel stories in the build-up to discovery season three um we've got we're bringing on people you know fans of the show anyone who wants to try the hand at podcasting obviously there's you know with the lockdown and everything yeah exactly so we've got a bit of an open door policy anyone who fancies coming on drop us a line we'll sort it out we'll talk about star trek for a bit and hopefully that'll you know, do something to put a smile on our face. Um, but until then, thanks for trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the retrek. Bye. Bye. <laughs>